there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, we preview the NBA Finals with a man who played, coached, and was a GM. We've got a lot to unpack, but first, Darlene, hit it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. And if you went to Las Vegas in December and put down some of your cold, hard cash on a Suns and Bucks NBA Finals matchup, you'd be rolling in it today. But in spite of this unlikely matchup, it promises to be a very competitive series with the young upstarts in Phoenix battling the vets and the Bucks who've been knocking on the door for the last few years. But with that said, hi, everybody. Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Aaron Berlin, along with my main man. He is the one. He is the only. His name is Otto Strong. And Otto did a great job last week, man. Appreciate you filling in. I, 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 look, I, I'm, a, I'm a utility player. You know, I'm the sixth man off the benches. I'm whatever, I'm whatever is needed in whatever hour you need. So that's, that's my contribution to society. Well, you did a great job as I was sitting on my couch with, you know, an ice pack on my head. Not really able to speak because allergies got me good and they still have me a little bit. So like if I, if I sound more nasally than normal, I already have a nasally voice, but if I sound more nasally than normal, that's why. So, you know, still dealing with a little bit of a cold, but you know, we're going to talk to Dave wall coming up here in probably about two minutes, but before we get to Dave, how good were those conference finals matchups? I, I mean, we were worried that we might have one on the brink of this show coming up, but how about the bucks, man? Taking care of business. Uh, look, I like the fact. Hey, look, I'm not. I mean, I've said this before. You know, no. LeBron, if you tell me no LeBron, no Steph, no KD in the conference finals, I would say you know I'd be a bit concerned. But honestly, the way it played out, I'm not exactly hating life. I mean, I thought I thought there were I thought there were good series. I don't think anybody. I mean, you know, I think I think we kind of presumed Phoenix and Milwaukee would emerge, but um, but it was competitive. The injuries were unfortunate, but. Um, you know, and I'm going to miss that damn screeching hawk. I'm not sorry. I, it, it, it was annoying, but then it kind of grew on me that whatever that thing is. It, oh my God. Well, don't worry. It's probably going to be back next year because of the uh, way the Hawks are playing, man. That, that, that team reminds me a lot of the Suns team. We didn't, we didn't spend a lot of this. We've already taped this interview with Dave, but we didn't spend a lot of this talking about it. Who would have thought the Suns last year when they had that eight Oh run in the bubble and everybody, everybody's like, Whoa, Whoa, they came to play in this bubble. They're not going to make the playoffs, but like, respect to the suns right like yeah. that's a team that carried it over all the way into this year now riding it into the nba finals yeah and if i'm not mistaken it's one dame lillard three that that put portland yeah. in and kept phoenix out so who knows what would have happened if uh if that went down but i i am i'm excited for the finals i'm excited to talk about what's coming up and all things nba all right before we get to that mm-hmm. i have to ask you this if Giannis doesn't play in this series 
Did you ever think that there would be an NBA final series where Chris Paul is the biggest superstar? Ooh, I mean, look, unfortunately, I, I think Chris Paul is a hell of a player, but based on the run that he's had the last couple of years, I, I did just, I did not think that that was that day that this day was ever going to come, yeah, but, um, but, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, it, you know, it, uh, one Devin Booker may have something to say about the biggest star in the, in the finals, but I, but I hear, I feel where you're going. I, I'm, you're going. I'm feeling a D Booker 60 point game. I think it's coming. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> and I'd be okay if like CP three, that same game had like a 30 point game is like, you know what? This kid can shoot. But all right, let's welcome the one and only. His name is Dave Wall. Joining Otto and myself this week is our colleague. He is the one and only. He is Dave Wall, host of Dave's Front Office podcast here at Pure Hoops Media. Dave is also a former player for five NBA franchises, an assistant coach with the Showtime Lakers and others, the head coach of the New Jersey Nets, and the general manager of the Los Angeles Clippers. But most importantly, he is a friend of the show. Dave, how's it going, my man? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Did you think, well, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Al. Hey, no problem. We have had so much to talk about. There is so much to talk about. So we're just going to jump right in with uh, with the finals matchup, which, of course, is Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks, just like we all drew it up in the preseason, right? (laughs) So Those were my picks. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, so I think one of the things that we definitely want to hit on before we you know, uh, go too far is talk about injuries because injuries have been the theme of the playoffs. And we see that at least as far as the Bucks are concerned, will Giannis be healthy? Will he play Chris Paul, not an injury so much He missed a couple of games with the COVID protocol, but how do you see the injury factor? Uh, if you want to take a look back at, at, at the playoffs to this point, or if you want to talk about the finals and how you think it might affect uh, what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. Well, I think the injuries have been really important. I mean, just to even go back, look at the Clippers, Kawhi, is out. I think obviously if Kawhi had been playing, perhaps it's, you know, the Clippers playing Milwaukee. I, I think the injuries have been a big factor. If you look at the Lakers without AD, without um, LeBron, you know, their bench wasn't strong enough to, to get into the playoffs deep. I, I think the injuries have been a major factor for elite players this year. And I think going into this matchup, I think depending on, on how severe Giannis's injury is, A, is he going to play from the start, starting with game one? Is he only 80%, 75%? You know, what can he do? Can he really just run straight up and down? If he has to go side to side a little bit, is that going to, you know, hurt the knee more? So I, I think it's a major factor for, for Milwaukee. And, and until we actually see what he's going to be able to do in game one, I, I don't know how you can really judge how it's going to affect them. If he can't play at all, you know it's going to be a major loss for them. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, would you say that Monty has the advantage, Monty Williams being the Suns coach? Yeah, I do. I, I just think they're healthier. You know, Chris had a, I, I read somewhere he had some ligaments in his hand that were strained or something, but it didn't seem to bother him in that last game. Maybe he should mm-hmm. keep straining them when he throws in 31. And But, yeah, I think if you're healthy at this time, uh, it allows the coach to play the lineups he wants, to use the rotations he's been using uh, as he goes in the game. If, if Giannis can't play, you know, Bud's got to really look at his lineups. He's got to figure out different rotations uh, because you're, you're taking Giannis's scoring, his ability to get to the free throw line, his ability, ability to, to get to uh, defend or get to the rim. So I think it's a major factor in how the series is going to move forward. Yeah, Dave, and, you know, this Milwaukee Bucks team is a team that loves to play that pick and roll. And we saw it a lot in game six, you know, specifically with Brooke, Brooke Lopez. 
how difficult does that become to play that same style against this Phoenix Suns team? I mean, Phoenix has so many interchangeable guards that they can run at the top of that, that it makes it much harder for them to defend. But when you think about what Bud has to do with the challenges of running that pick and roll, if he doesn't have Giannis, how difficult does that become? Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. And, and what, what we might see is, you know, if Giannis can't play or he's really limited, um, they may put Lopez down on the box and start to go into Lopez. And now Monty's forced, do I, do I play Aiden on Lopez? Um, do I get in foul trouble? Because if I'm Lopez, I'm going right at Aiden and try and get uh, a couple fouls on him because he's so important, along with Booker and CP, I think, to their success not only as a guy who rolls and gets lobs and everything, but rebounding and things like that. So it may cause some problems for, for Phoenix if, if Bud decides, hey, I don't have Giannis. He's not going to be handling the ball as much. I'm going to go to Brooke. I'm going to run pick and rolls with Drew or with Middleton a little bit and some of the other players. Um, but I'm going to see if I can get Aiton in foul trouble. And, and Monty, I don't think, wants to bring in Saric early to, to play Lopez and maybe use the fouls there. Because if you look back at the Clippers series, I think, I think Cousins scored, I could be off by a point or two. He had 38 points in a total of 38 minutes. You know, and a lot of those were against Saric. And Lopez is a better low post player than, than Cousins at this stage of his career because of Cousins' injuries. So it's going to be interesting how Bud, depending on, on Giannis's availability and, and is he 100%, 80%, how he can play offensively and what Bud does if he's not at full strength. So if he is healthy and he does play, do you expect them to really go down to them heavy into the paint, both Lopez and Giannis, or do you expect them to change things up? Well, I, I think it's hard to have both those guys playing in the paint, like on opposite sides of the paint. I think they'll still feature Giannis up top, trying to go one-on-one. -on -one. It'll be more if you're Bud thinking, okay, who's going, if I'm putting Lopez down rather than the guy who usually pick and pops, or I'm going to put him in pick and rolls and let Lopez roll, you know, Monty's got to figure out how do I keep Aiden out of foul trouble if they're going in right away, or do I double Lopez and do I open up some other things just to try and make sure Aiden doesn't pick up a couple fouls? I, I think the strength side of things is Lopez. People forget Lopez was a terrific low post offensive player early in his career and he, he was a handful for everybody big size strong got a little hook got some other stuff so I'm anxious to kind of see how this opens up and and see what Bud does rather than playing Lopez picking and popping out on the perimeter maybe some dives if he goes right at him and, and see who sees what he can get out of that has it surprised you how much Lopez has changed his game uh, hey, he went to Stanford, so I figured out. You know, <laughs> That's right. Like, uh, like you career, have to evolve if you went to yeah, Stanford. Yeah, at some point right? in his career, he figured, hey, no more passes into the post. Maybe I just have to move outside. And and you got to give him credit. He went from taking, I don't know, like one, three a year to like four or five a game. And he shot the ball fairly well. And so he's figured out in this new kind of positioning for a big, how he can make the most of it. The thing that was hurt for a while, I think, was his ability to offensive rebound. But he still gets in there now, you know, when he rolls to the hoop now, he's around the offensive board and he's a big body. But I give him a lot of credit for just figuring out, OK, how am I going to make myself relevant in this new analytically challenged um, kind of new NBA for big guys? 
Sticking with Diggs, I mean, uh, Phoenix may not have a lot of options if the, you know, if, if the between you know, between Lopez and, and and Giannis, but you know, Jay Crowder is not, you know, he's not a, a big in the classic sense, but he's a he's kind of a wide body who feels like he can fill some space and do some things down there. Do you feel like he's a he's an option or or not not so much? Look, I think you could play Crowder maybe on Giannis, especially if Giannis is not full speed and he's trying to post up a little bit. I don't think you can play Crowder mm -hmm. on like Lopez. Um, I think Lopez is just too big and too strong if he's down in the post. Now, maybe if you want to play Crowder on him and go double, yeah, you can probably do that. But it's just going to be an interesting matchup and see what Bud does to try and like, I, I think Aiden is such a key figure along with CP and Booker that if you can get him in foul trouble, it's probably the one position depth-wise and not to take a knock at Saric or anything, but they don't have another guy that does the same things consistently like Aiden does with his size. It does seem to be particularly disciplined, I would say, Aiden, from, from what from what I recall. I, didn't, I don't recall him getting into foul trouble too much. So that would seem to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a Phoenix fan, you, you, you're, you're hoping that he kind of could kind of just lay off a little bit and not pick up some of those ticky-tack fouls. And, and the other thing is, how are they going to call this series? Right. Yeah, and they've been letting things go. Uh, so it really depends. The interesting thing with the referees in the NBA is it's not the same guy on the baseline every time down, because as you know, the referees rotate, there's three guys. And as the ball moves, the guy who's the outside guy is now heading, heading down to the baseline. So you can have one guy that's calling it tight. You can have the other guy down there who's calling it looser. So it's not like a home plate umpire that's calling it somewhat consistently throughout the game for both teams. So it's going to be interesting. Again, uh, as they get to the finals, they let a little more go. It becomes more physical, sometimes more inconsistently physical because of just the nature of officials missing a call or interpreting it a different way. That's a really good point because I think a lot of people typically look past the officials, right? Like they imagine that they're just part of the game and they think that only the players dictate the outcome, but the officials play a massive role. How do coaches go into a series like that and massage that relationship with the officials. Well, what were some of the things that you would do? Well, I think one of the things is you find out very quickly is which officials you can talk to and you can have a conversation with and which officials, if you just want to vent or tell them it's a bad call, they don't want to hear it. You know, I'll give you a great um, example. Steve Javi, who comes on, you know, they, they go to him and they ask his opinion. When Steve started out and Steve became a tremendous official, but when Steve, when Steve started, he gave out technicals like they were just free, like, you know, Arby's coupons or something. You know, you just said, hi, Steve, you got a tech. And I remember talking to him once young in his career. He may not even remember this. And I, I told him we ended up walking out together after a game. And I said, you know, you have the you have the potential to be a really good ref. You always have the T in your back pocket. You don't have to use it every time learn that coaches sometimes get upset at a call, the emotion of the game. There's nothing wrong with just letting them talk, but letting them know there's a line they can't cross. And Steve eventually just found that on his own and became a tremendous official. There's some officials, and I don't want to name them, but there's some guys still that you challenge their call. They've never made a bad call in their life. They really haven't. You know, they could be in there 20 years and they'll go, no, that was a good call. And so the coaches all kind of know which guys are which. It's the younger officials that sometimes they try and manipulate. Guys that may have been in a year or two um, that, you know, they'll try and talk to and point out why they missed a call or they're not seeing this or they're not seeing that. 
So, so how do you build those relationships throughout the course of the year? Because I imagine that, you know, they're important in the regular season. You see guys probably five or 10 times throughout the course of a year, but how do you go about building that relationship with them? I think it's a lot of it, just the respect you show an official. I mean, there's times, there's times you have an argument with an official and not necessarily an argument, it's a discussion. And the official gives you a reason of what he saw and you kind of go, okay, I see why you called that. I mean, it is a two-way street because you know if you're going to be in this business a long time, you're going to see these guys over and over again. So you try and develop respect. They have a meeting, you know, every year between the officials and the head coaches. So they get to talk about things. And a lot of these guys have good backgrounds. They were either players or coaches at, at one point. So, you know, I think you just establish a respect for them. And when the game's over, it's over. You know, you're not holding a grudge on a guy for the next you know, time you see him. So let's, uh, let's switch it up to uh, guard play, because that's obviously also going to be, you know, monumental in this series. So uh, Drew somewhat ha- uh, holiday with the Bucks had somewhat of a coming out party. Uh, I mean, not that, not that he wasn't a good player, but he, he definitely kind of turned some heads, especially in the, you know, the last couple of games. Um, he can guard, you know, both backcourt, both backcourt positions. Do you feel like he's going to be more spending more time on CP3 or do you feel like he's going to be spending more time on Booker? I think it's going to be a little bit how the game is going. You know, if Book's the one that's on fire, I think you might see Drew Moore go over and play Book. If CP's on fire, you know, it might be him coming to try and, you know, play Chris a little more. So I think as the game's going, Bud's going to try and figure out where he can use Drew best because basically he can play all the smalls. I mean, you know, he can play Crowder, he can play, you know, Bridges, he can play Cam Johnson, he can play Payne. He's probably their most versatile defender along with PJ and and Giannis. I mean, they have a lot of versatile defenders, but uh, I do think that the two guys you can't let get off are, are really Booker or CP. I mean, and that's where I think you'll find Drew if those guys really get on a run. How big of a factor <clears throat> is Giannis's injury from a defensive standpoint? I mean, Giannis is a guy that can guard a lot of different guys on the floor. And if they don't have him to switch out to maybe give help on, you know, from Middleton or Tucker, how big of a factor does that play for the Bucks defensively? Because when I think about Giannis, you know, he's probably the best two-way player in the game right now. Yeah, and you get you get some rim protection with Giannis. You get the ability to switch on things. A good rebounder. You know he can take the ball off the board and go. So I, I think if he can't go 100%, if if he's really limited in what he can do, it's definitely going to hurt them defensively. I, I think there's times where you know let's say Chris really gets on a roll like he did in the last game with the Clippers. You know the one thing that has surprised me, and it's happened with Trey, it's happened with Paul George, Booker, Chris's, and Middleton when. These scores get on a roll and we're talking, you know, Chris had 31 in the second half. I think Middleton had 16 in a row, 23 in the, mm-hmm. and in the last quarter, Trey gets on a roll that teams haven't doubled them and blitzed them. I've really been surprised at that just to try and, you know, break up their rhythm a little bit. Let somebody else make some shots because you know, those guys can beat you. You know, Chris is capable of putting 40 points on the board. Trey's capable of that Middleton. And so what we might see is a little change up if Chris gets on a roll coming off pick and rolls, you know, you got to have a big and maybe it's Giannis, maybe it's Portis, you know, those guys that are up a little can be up a little higher because of their speed and quickness. And maybe they blitz Chris until he gets the ball out of his hands. But then the one thing, if you do get him to give up the ball, make it tough for him to get it back. What, What sometimes surprises me is they do a good job getting the ball out of, let's say, Paul George's hands or Booker's hands. The guy drops back, they throw it right back to Booker or Paul George. And it's like, well, why did you waste the energy? Make him beat you back door. Make him get, you know, 40 points going back door on you. 
So I'm, I'm interested to see if they start to do some different things defensively if one of the big scorers gets on a roll. Does that worry you if, if Giannis can't go and Chris Middleton has to carry the load like he did in game six, that he can keep up with some of the scorers that the Suns have if he's having to exert so much energy defensively just to stop a Booker or a CP3? Yeah, I just, I just think when you have one of your, he's either your best or your second best player, depending night to night, and he may not play, I, I think it's huge. I remember when I was with the Lakers and we went into, uh, in 83, we were going to play Philadelphia and Worthy broke his leg right before the playoffs. We lost, we lost Worthy and Norm Nixon, I think, had a dislocated shoulder. Um, we lost two of our great players. We got beat 4-0 in that series. Um, I think if you lose an elite player, it's really hard because now you're, you're starting somebody else. That means the guy that normally was the backup to him, somebody else that normally doesn't play as much has to come in and take up those minutes. So it's, it's really hard for a coach, you know, we've given one or two games to figure out, okay, how he's going to manipulate his lineups anymore. Yeah, that it's a domino effect and it. And obviously it, it put, it puts a lot of stress, a lot of strain on the coaching staff. So, so speaking of which coach do you feel like given the double teams and other, other situations, which coach do you feel like would be more, I mean, they're both top notch coaches, obviously you feel like one's going to be quicker to, 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 you know, uh, try something new or, or mix it up or is one, you feel like one's going to not have the advantage, but just kind of will, will pull the ripcord quick, more quickly on, on a, on a, like, Hey, we got to, we got, we got to figure something else out here. I think these two guys are pretty equal. Um, you know, they, they both know their teams, uh, their teams trust them. Uh, I think Bud may be the guy that that happens to first because it's going to be based on really how much Giannis can do. So he may have to figure out some adjustments. Monty's team is, you know, relatively healthy, assuming Chris is, you know, able to play with his hand. So I think Bud may have to do some things, you know, before Monty has to adjust. If there was an injury to Phoenix, then it really throws it towards Monty. Okay, if he's going to miss a guy. So I think just going into it, it's, it's, it's more Bud from the beginning. What am I going to do if, if Giannis either can't play or is limited to 20 minutes or is only 80% and can play 20 minutes? Um, and he can't do some of the things he normally does. So I, I think it's a tough one going into that first game. Is, is there any kind of advantage for the Bucks in that scenario? Like if Phoenix doesn't know if they're going to have Giannis or not, because now they have to game plan for, you know, what we saw from the Bucks in games five and six versus what we saw with the Bucks when Giannis was in the lineup. How much of an advantage does that tip the scales in the Bucks' favor if they know that Giannis is going to go, but now you got the – the Suns game planning for two different scenarios. I, I don't know that it's an advantage or a disadvantage, let's say for Phoenix, because Monty's going to, they're going to work as if Giannis is going to play. They're going to plan for that, but they're also going to talk about, okay, if Giannis doesn't play, here's what they're trying to do. And they'll put a, a game plan, tweak the game plan a little bit for that. So they're not going to come in and go, Oh my God, he's 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 not playing. What do we do? You know, they're they're gonna they're a smart coaching staff. Monty's been through all this kind of stuff too, so they're gonna do their game plan and have their tweaks or their adjustments in place, depending you know what Giannis can do from nothing to hey, he's hundred percent and you know he made an amazing recovery. Dave, uh, I, I wanted you to to kind of speak to the people about the injury that Giannis has. I mean, it's it's not you know it's one of those things where it's you know it's not something that's broken. It's not a, a tear, you know, it, a hyperextended knee. Now, you know, I've, I've played ball. I've, I've hyperextended my knee. I'm not going to say that, you know, my hyperextended is, Giannis is hyperextended, but give people an idea if you could about, 
kind of the the length and the severity because it feels like we're on the cusp of people's kind of wondering about well, why isn't he playing? It's, you know, yeah, you know, put some ice on it, icy hot, whatever, and get back out there. So if you could shed any light on that, that'd, that'd be helpful. Yeah, I actually had, when I was playing, I actually had a hyperextended knee also. Um, the, it's, it's not like if you have a, a, a pulled muscle or something where, you know, you feel it like in a muscle, it's more when there's, there's certain movements, and I don't know how severe Giannis's is, but the hyperextension is when you try and do certain things in movements with your leg, you'll feel pain in it. Uh, so we're normally, maybe you can make a cut one way or the other, depending on which knee it is. All of a sudden, when you make that cut, you'll feel pain. A lot of times the pain can be behind the knee or on the side of the knee, um, depending how he did it. And it really just limits, I know when I had it, it really limited mobility. And, and so it's, it's not like, you know, it's this searing pain when you're just sitting there. It's when you try and start to move or when you jump and then try and land and push off that you can feel, you know, pain in the knee. And some part of it's, you know, how much pain you can tolerate, but other parts is just, you just can't move like you did. You just don't have the, you know, whether there's some swelling in it or whatever, you just don't have the ability to move like you did. Do you feel like there's also a component where there's the, the mental component? Like, do you, do you trust it? You know, what you, you, obviously he's, he's, he's made improvements. We've seen today, uh, the, the word is he's making improvements, but you always wonder, and maybe this is more so with other injuries, whether a player is trust, trusting the, the, the recovery process um, you know, as they get out there. Yeah, I think they have a, they have a good training staff. I, I don't think it's not trusting the, the training staff. You know, there's certain injuries you can play through. You sprain your wrist, they wrap it. You know, you can play through that. You jam a finger, you can play through that. Even sometimes you get, you get kneed or bumped or banged. You know, you can play through things that are aches and pains. There's a difference between having an injury and just being banged up and or or, or hurt, you know, mm. and and there's different levels of hurt and and sometimes you can push through some things. I think it's harder when it involves your legs, knees, ankles because those are really the things you can't afford to to lose advantages with during a game. You know, you get banged in the chest or the arm. Okay, you can play through that. But if you can't run like you used to run, if you can't jump, if you can't cut as quick or as hard, or you know, you're trying to go off the dribble, or you're trying to, you know, if the first game CP came back, all of a sudden all his jumpers were falling short. Now he didn't have a leg injury, but that's what it kind of feels like. If your legs are injured, you, you're not quite getting the height, you're not quite getting the same rhythm. So it's just going to be interesting to see what Giannis can do. And, and there hasn't been a lot of information. It's not like he's 80% back or he's 90% back. Um, you know, so I, I think everybody's just going to see in game one, what can he do? What were the things he didn't do that he's normally able to do? And I think the big thing will, will be if he plays in game one, how does that affect his knee for game two? Mm -hmm. you know, how so condition it and everything, but, you know, it's going to take something out of him game one. Is that going to hurt him for game two? I don't know. Yeah. And you kind of wonder about the conditioning aspect of it as well. You know, I mean, you talked about CP three, his shots falling. Part of that is because he's been on the bench. He hadn't been playing. I mean, game action is very different than, you know, just running through sets in your shoot around or in your practices, but also how difficult of a decision is that? for John Horst and Mike Budenholzer. I mean, because obviously, you know, if the medical staff gives him the okay, Giannis is going to say, I want to play. Right. But this is also a top five player in the league. This is a franchise icon. How difficult of a decision is this, you know, when you were in the front office or when you were on the sidelines, 
how do you even make that decision if you're judging if someone's healthy or if you see them out there five minutes and they just can't physically go? Yeah, I think it's going to be a collaborative decision. Now, somebody's going to have a final say on it, but they're going to rely on the medical staff, the performance staff, the trainer uh, who know his body. They know what the, you know baselines he's been able to do if they do any testing on him or anything during the rehab. And they'll come to a point where, okay, he can play. He can't hurt it anymore. Or if he does play, there's a chance he could be at further risk. And I think all those kind of thoughts will go into a decision and Giannis might want to play and they might just decide, you know what, this is too much at risk. We're going to be a good team again next year. You know, we don't want to risk you having further injury from this. So a lot of it will be information that we don't have that the training and performance staff have from him, the rehab they've been doing, testing the doctors, and they'll bring all that information and talk with Giannis and and Bud and, and Horst and say, you know, what, what should we try and do? And Giannis will probably have a big say in it, but he's going to want to play. If he can jog up and down, he's going to want to play because players want to play, especially in the first finals you've ever been in. You never know when you're getting back. But I, I think that they'll try and take the emotion out of it and figure out, is this putting him at, at really much more risk or is this something where there's, there's very little risk that he can do any more injury to it? Did you ever have, have a similar situation like this? Yeah, but my two or three minutes that I was playing in the game, they didn't weigh quite as heavily. You know, they just zapped me with some cold spray and they said, sit down, young man. These are good seats to watch the games, you know. <laughs> oh, All right. So, 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 so let's pivot. We've talked about Giannis and, and we, we obviously know he is the engine that makes this Bucks team go. Him, Middleson, Drew Holiday. But I, I don't think that we've talked enough about some of the reserves that are probably going to play a big factor in this series. When you look at both these rosters, Suns and the Bucks, and both of them have had role players along the way that have gotten them to where they are today. Who are you really focusing on? Like, who are your guys that you're saying he's going to have a moment in this series and he's going to make a difference? Well, I, th I think uh, Crowder and Bridges, uh, certainly for Phoenix, I think when they're able to get open shots in their offense because of penetration or pace or, you know, CPs drawing defenders and finding them, I, I think they really make it a tough offense to guard. They both can shoot threes. You know, Crowder got on fire the one game. Bridges has shot threes. Um, so I think those two guys are very important. Then you bring in, you know, Cam Johnson, you bring in uh, Payne, and those are two other guys that, that can put some points on the board. So I, I think they're deeper in, in that respect of guys that, you know, if one guy's not shooting well, they can get another guy in there that might be able to contribute. So it's not just Chris, it's not just Booker coming down each time and the defense gets the focus on them. Um, so I, I think if they can shoot well, if they can make some open shots, I think Phoenix should play at a faster pace because if Giannis is in the game, man, I want Giannis to have to run up and down defensive transition every single time down the floor. You know, I don't want him to be able to just walk it up or jog back. So um, I think if Phoenix can get Milwaukee more in open court situations, pushing the ball back, I think it opens up things for more of those guys. Booker gets more threes and maybe pull up in transition. The other guys do. So I think those two guys on the Phoenix side, uh, I think Milwaukee, it's, it's tougher for them. I think Portis has to have a big game for them. You know, he, he had one um, in the past series. You know, I think they need something from him. The other two guys that usually there's some guy that pulls out a big game that you don't expect. Maybe it's Connaughton. Maybe it's Bryn Forbes. You know, he hits, comes in and hits four threes or, or something like that. 
But I think those guys are guys that, you know, are, are not expected to win games for you. Maybe Portis is. But I think Phoenix has a bunch of guys that if they can make their usual contributions, it really helps their offense flow. Dave, one of the things about contributions that I was, you know, look, I, I've talked before about how I was a Knicks fan, you know, 94, the finals against Houston, John Starks goes, what, three for 97 from three. And one of the, so one of the things where I'm going with this is one of the things that I really liked about these two teams is they're not afraid to shoot twos. They're not afraid from like, there's nothing wrong with, with putting in a shot from the elbow. Chris, you know, Chris Paul made his, made his, uh, you know, gay. Oh my God, I had a tremendous series, uh, uh, just kind of living off that elbow shot. Devin Booker, same thing. Middleton, same thing. Do, do you feel like on some level, there's a, a vindication, if you will, of like, you don't only need to shoot threes. You can actually step inside the line. You know? Hey baby, the uh, mid-range is back. The mid-range That's is what I'm back. saying. That's what I'm saying. Old school. Analytics professionals school. everywhere are hating this podcast because they're like the 15 foot jumper is the worst shot in the world. Like, no, why would you take that? But there's an analytic exception to that. And the exception is if you shoot the mid-range jumper well, like Chris yeah. is like 50%. I think a couple of the other guys, you know, I think, I think Booker and some of the other guys, it depends if you're uh, the way they do it is like 10 feet to 16 feet, 16 feet to the three, you know, the guys that can shoot that well, they don't mind you taking um, two point shots. Like look at the Clippers, Paul George will get into that, that mid range. Kawhi is a mid range shooter as much as he'll throw up a three now and then. Um, Jamal Murray, as much as he's made some big threes, he'll take mid-range shots. I, I think it's kind of a, they hide that a little bit, that, that the mid-range can be a weapon now because everybody's gotten so good at chasing you out on threes that the ability to break a guy down off the dribble and now the big guy's there is you just pull up at that mid-range, the big guy's not coming out and you got a 15-foot jumper. And, and so, you know, they're showing that the mid-range can still be a weapon if you make the shot. And I think one of the reasons guys don't shoot as well anymore there, I don't think they work on it. I think they've yeah. been a little told yeah. that we don't want you to shoot a three because the, the worst shot is the contested two point shot. But if you've got a wide open, like Chris takes wide open mid range shots, Booker takes a lot of ones that are open or contested, but he makes them. So I, I think that guys just don't practice that shot anymore. You guys are giving me nightmare scenarios of when I used to watch Nick Vucevic with the magic every single time, catch the ball at the top of the key. And he'd take that one step inside the arc. And you're like, why are you doing this? Just stay out there. Like you're taking the worst percentage shot that you could take from two, but you're right. Like, like if you're working on it and it's the same thing Otto and I were talking about last week, you know, like, or maybe this was two weeks ago, but Kevin Durant had practiced that three point shot that he took at the end of game seven, numerous times. Like he right. knew what spot he was going to come in. He'd come off that pick numerous times. Like that was all a repetition move. Like if you're not taking something that's in rhythm or that is muscle memory for you, that's when you tend to get into a little bit of a trouble spot. But, you know, I, I think it would be wrong before we get to our predictions to not spend any time on the Hawks or the Clippers because the run that both of those teams had to the conference finals, I think is worthy of a decent discussion. And I do want to start with the Hawks because for them, I think a lot of this, this season was just about getting to the playoffs and taking that next step with Trey young. I don't think anybody thought that we would see Trey young emerge the way that he has can you just give us a little bit on what you saw from him, his maturity in these playoffs and what impressed you most about what he was able to do? 
Yeah, I, the, the thing is, he had these skills coming out of college. He had deep range. He was a terrific passer. The problem for him was trying to figure out when do I take mine? When do I create something for the other players on my team? And, and when do I not take the silly shots, like the 30-footer when there's you know, 18 seconds still left on the, on the clock? And I think his growth has been as much as in his decision making of, of when to use his skills to create, you know, either outside on the perimeter for threes, the floater, he's he probably got the best, one of the best floaters in the league. I think I saw a percentage, there was one, I think it was one guy, Derek Rose had a slightly better percentage, which sounds funny on, on floaters. And he's always been a willing passer. And I think their team, when you look at some of their acquisitions, I thought um, getting Clint Capella was a great acquisition for them because he fits so well into what Trey does. He'll throw lobs. If you come out to try and protect the floater, you know, you have to play Trey out beyond the three. He's a very, very good ball handler in terms of getting into the paint. Um, you know, he gets to the foul line. So I, I think the big factor for me was when Nate took over coaching, I thought, and I, I'm not privy to any of their conversations, but it seemed like Nate, Nate was able to get him to understand the bigger role that he played for that team. And it wasn't all about him just having a big game and they'd lose, uh, but having a good game and more people were getting opportunities because of how he played. And I thought, you know, getting him to recognize that you gotta be a, you gotta be a better defender. You gotta at least put the effort in. You can't just not, not defend because I can't yell at other guys for not defending and then just give you a pass kind of thing. So I, I think, you know, this kid was terrific in the playoffs. And um, I think I talked to you guys. What I loved was his attitude. You know, he's on the away court, man. He, he loves it. He loves it when you boo him, when you get on him. <laughs> shushing the, you know, you shush people in New York, you know, you're going national. <laughs> Otto's just hating at that moment, came against his Knicks. I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would say, I would say to Dave, really, like, like, you know, if you're going to bring it and you could, you could back it up, I mean, yeah. you, you mad respect there's nothing else you could say about that hey what do, what do you think that the the hawks need to kind of i mean we, we won't we'll never know what would have what would have happened or what could have happened had the the tray injury not happened but what do you feel like they are they're missing to kind of get them to the to an nba finals well i think the thing that we didn't get to see in the playoffs for them through uh, the playoffs was uh, deandre hunter added on to that group another good defender who's got some versatility guarding different positions can shoot a three you know, you put him on that on that floor with that team, you know, he gives them another asset there. And so the question is now, they have to internally figure out, do we have our starting five that we really like? And now do we have to elevate the next three positions coming off the bench? So we're eight deep, we have more versatility defensively, you know, and what's gonna be interesting is if also is if the NBA changes up the rules, like, Trey can't pull up right after he comes off a screen. He can't jump back into a guy. If they take away some of those things, not only for him, but for some other guys, you know, it, it may take his game down a little notch or something of some of the things he can do. But I think they're one of the teams really that you got to look at next year and say it would be a surprise if they're not right back where they ended up again this year, you know, trying to, you know, compete for the Eastern Conference Finals. On the other side of the bracket was obviously the Clippers uh, team that dealt with some injuries. I mean, not having Kawhi for the entire finals run was really difficult. I, I mean, you take a top 10 player off any roster and the fact that they got it to six games, I thought was really impressive. We saw PG 13 have some moments, but what did you see from the Clippers? 
Well, that was the team I picked in the beginning of the year. I just thought they had the depth. Um, I thought missing Kawhi, just like we're talking about not having Giannis, you see what one elite player uh, really, if he's unable to play, how it, how it hurts. Uh, I thought Ty and his staff did a fantastic job all year, but I thought they really resurrected Reggie Jackson's game because Reggie really didn't play well last year. And I thought he was a huge reason for their success this year. You know, sometimes it was scoring, sometimes it was just shooting, you know, played def decent defense. Um, you know, having Zubac out and Kawhi out for those, uh, you know, the end of that playoff series, I think really hurt them. So I think assuming Kawhi's injury is not more serious than a minor knee injury, and there's nothing more serious, it's nothing further than that, you know, I think they've got a chance if they bring those guys back that they should be, you know, competing again, Western Conference Finals and, and maybe the, the NBA Finals. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be if they can stay healthy. So the, so the end of this Clippers season, you feel is different than the end of last Clippers season. Uh, you know, I mean, Doc Rivers, the end of last season was, it seemed like, okay, the, the movement van was, was, was there before, before the team you know, left. It, at least right. that was the vibe that we all got. Right. Uh, but Tyron Lue, uh, it, it feels like a, a different vibe, even though, uh, you know, obviously not, not having Kawhi is going to be a major factor and pres presumably they're going to get the, get the pass on that. Is that, is that the, is that kind of the, the view here? Yeah, I, I think the thing is that everybody, you know, and I guess there were some habits that were changed. Kawhi was, you know, commuting to practices, I guess, from down in San Diego for a while. Um, you know, then he bought a place up here. I think the fact that they could actually get together as a team more, they could start to go out a little more, they could have meetings a little more. Uh, in the bubble, it was really hard to do that stuff. If you remember, even last year, three guys had deaths in the family. Um, I think there were a lot of adjustments for the first time in the bubble. What is this pandemic? You had Black Lives Matters protests and platforms, you know, uh, going on. I thought there last year might have been the hardest year ever in the NBA just because of all the adjustments. This year was no cakewalk e either because now you threw the travel in. They were still getting tested a couple times a day. I mean, these last two seasons have been just unbelievably hard on players. But I do think the players got another year together. And I think that's always where you can develop chemistry better. better. And I think they saw, hey, we, we really fell short this year or last year. We're going to work together to be better this year. And I thought they were. I thought they really did a nice job. And Marcus Morris had a good year. Zubac had a good year. You know, Beverly, you know, was hurt. And they, had, they got by a lot of injuries early in the year, too. So uh, I just see them, if they can bring Kawhi back and he's, he's not injured, it's no ACL or something serious like that, that, you know, he can come right into camp and take off. They, they should be a favorite, I think, I think, to get to the finals next year. It's kind of funny how much we've talked about the bubble and you know, nobody has mentioned the Yato run that the Suns did last year and missing the playoffs in the bubble. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's safe to say that really set the tone for their campaign. You know, they kind of felt like that they could compete with a lot of these teams. And then you bring in a player like CP three and he has the leadership standpoint and the Suns just took off. I mean, they've been the most consistent team all year long. And so there is one good thing that came out of the bubble besides the Lakers championship, obviously it's that the Suns found their mojo. You know, well, I, I think this is the perfect team for Chris Paul. And I want to tell you why when Chris was with the Clippers and we had Chris for a number of years there, he didn't have really a young team. And, yep. you know, Chris is, Chris is tough. He's always harping. He's always trying to 
tell guys how they can be better, do different things. And it, it all comes from a place that he's trying to be better. Um, you know, so we had more veterans and some of those guys, I don't think they took it the right way all the time. You know, it's not that they hated each other or anything like that, but I, I, I thought it irritated them in the manner it was done and the way they responded sometimes was irritating. And, and this team that Chris has now in Phoenix, these are all young guys for the most part. They really look up to Chris. Chris is the veteran who's been through it all. And he doesn't have any competing veterans that are trying to do it, tell them to do it a different way. Or, oh yeah, Chris, I wish Chris would just be quiet or something like this. They listen to Chris. And Monty counts on Chris to be a leader. So I think this is the perfect, perfect team for Chris. I, I would be surprised with the rumors that he's going to go to New York if, you know, a contract or stuff. I, I think Chris has found nirvana here, man. He's close enough to LA for his family. Uh, I think this is a team, man, he rides off into the sunset with because they could be right back here next year. He's got a team that loves him. The players respect the heck out of him. You know, he is the point god in their, in their <laughs> mind, you know? And, and I think Chris feels really that he's in a place where everybody listens to him now. And that makes it easier for him to be who he is. So um, I just think this is the perfect team for him. So with that said, who you got? Um, because I don't know what Giannis is going to be able to do. I'm going to mm -hmm. take Phoenix, but I think it could be really close. This could be a seven-game series if Giannis can play up to his normal level. If he can't, I think Suns win it in six. Yeah, I'm going Suns and six, Otto. You know, before we get to your prediction, I'm just going to I'm going to tell you why this Suns team has been the most consistent all year long. Their guard play has been fantastic. I think Devin Booker is going to have a huge series. I think we could see a big game from CP3 as well. And I think nobody has a 16 year run and has been as close to the NBA finals as Chris Paul has been. And to let it slip through his fingers, I don't think it's happening. I don't see a way. Plus, if Giannis isn't healthy, I don't think that it, it was a lot easier for the Bucks to get past, you know, a injured Nets team, a injured Hawks team with a 80% tray. But to get through a Suns team that has fought through, that has dealt with all the ups and downs that their campaign has had. I, I mean, we said this two weeks ago. This feels like a Suns team that uh, – is, you know, donned for an NBA championship. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Suns. I want to say Suns in five. I mean, the, so the thing wow. is, like, I like, I like the fact that there are a couple of extra, you know, rest days. But, you know, Giannis not having played, this, this, I don't think this is a Suns team that you could give games away to. Uh, this is just not the series that you, could, that you could pull that off. I don't think so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bold and go Suns five. Well, I, I think one of the things is I think the basketball gods have to be up there going, all right, we've messed with Chris for 16 years. You know, <laughs> let, let's give him his destiny. We're going to we're going to let him go get a title now. We're not going to mess with him anymore. We put him through everything and he's come through. So we're going to go easy on him this time and no injuries. We're just going to let him win a title. And Giannis will be back. Giannis will have plenty of more opportunities to get back to the NBA finals. So I just think this Suns team, as our great producer reminded me, the word is destined, you know, not donned, destined for an NBA finals championship. And I think CP3 deserves it. And I think everybody from the banana boat will be happy with their championship rings at some point. And so Dave, it is always a pleasure having you on my man. We're going to have to do some of these after some finals games next week. 
Yeah, sounds week. good. I enjoyed talking with you guys. Anytime. Oh, it's always a pleasure having you on, my man. That was dope. It's time to wrap things up. Thanks to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, for filling in for Dan Kramer this week. Also, thanks to our editor, Stephen Roll, filling in for Kristen Woolley. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops Media shows. The Mike Wise Show drops every Monday, and this week, Mike has his own NBA Finals preview. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure drops on Thursday. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And of course, Aaron and I will be back next week with another episode of Catch and Shoot 2.0. And if you'd like to hear selected discussions from all of our shows, subscribe to Pure Hoops Media Quick Hitters. And we have many great video segments on our YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube and search Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Now that the COVID vaccines are widely available, get one. If you are one of those misguided souls who haven't gotten a vaccination, keep wearing the mask in public so you don't get Otto and me sick because Otto and I are both fully vaxxed humans. So seriously, just go get the shot so you don't have to wear the mask. Like if you don't want to wear the mask, just get the shot. It's one day where you might be down. It's well worth it. And as always, keep your guard up. Be smart. Until next time, everybody, enjoy the NBA Finals. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.